Scripture reading this morning will come from 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10, and 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 15, excuse me, verses 14 through 15, starting with chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Christ so that the life of Christ may also be revealed in our body. And now, verses, or now chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them was and was raised again. This is God's word. You may be seated. In, inside of the bulletin, you'll find a, a sheet that has not only the order of worship on it, but it also has uh, an outline. There's some fill-in-the-blanks there that you can use in a lot of white space in case uh, you want to take some notes or something that you hear that you might want to think about or be praying about or study up on a little bit more this next week. Um, but I would invite you to get those out right now. At the bottom of that are the questions for our small groups, and uh, a lot of the groups are meeting tonight and uh, those are the questions that you're going to use to direct the discussion tonight. Uh, let's begin with a word of prayer. Our Father, into our thinking, you, out of your word, give us ideas and images by which to, to know you and to understand you. The ideas that you give us, Father, are to help us to understand who you are in reality. The images that you give us help us to visualize those ideas every day. Our recognitions of you tumble out of our mouths. Lord and Sovereign, King, you are our Master, you are our Teacher. We speak these words at times glibly, out of habit, thoughtlessly, but then you act to remind us that you are not kidding. You are not like us, we are not like you, and you will not be mocked. So we are asking you in this hour, Father, to sweep away our treasures that blind us to you so that you can become the treasure beyond all treasures in our heart. We ask that you sweep away our self-indulgences in order, Father, for us to willingly and even joyfully Pick up our cross and follow you. And to this end, Father, we ask you for ears to hear and eyes to see you in all of your holiness and glory. And this we ask in the name of Jesus and all the church said. 
If you were here last week, you know that we started a, a new sermon series this past week that we've entitled, This Is Us. And uh, sort of the, 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 the trigger for this series is with the TV show about a family that does not look like any other family that you're going to run across in normal everyday living. And when you think about it, that, that really describes our church family as well. Our church family is a family that looks like no other. And the reason for that is we have a father like no other father. God, our creator, is our father and the creator of our church family. And as we saw last week, that one of the marks that sets us apart and, and identifies that this is us, is that like Jesus is described in, by Peter in Acts chapter 10 in the household of, in the home of Cornelius, that Jesus went around doing good and healing those that were under the power of Satan. We too go around our community, whether that community is our own household, whether it's the neighbors that we encounter on the streets, so we're mowing lawns and walking dogs, and, or at school, or at work, or the grocery store. We are the people like our master, who go around intentionally making it better. So it brings us to this week. And what else is it that we read in Scripture that makes us a family like no other, that identifies us as a people who are different, even a people who are set apart? And one of the things that that sets us apart is that when we think about our lives as disciples of Jesus, we realize we have come to the conclusion, even though it may not be fully lived out in our life, we have come to a, a life-changing conclusion, and that is we are not in charge of our lives. That runs in collision, head-to-head, -head, with the mainstream thinking of, of our culture that says that every human being is autonomous and that they have the right to create whatever it is that they want to create, whether it's their own life or their, only, their, their own sense of morality. But you have the right to do that. When we became disciples of Jesus and experienced through baptism a new birth, aligning our life with the will of God, experiencing forgiveness of sin, experiencing the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that strengthens us, Ephesians chapter 3, in the inner man, in order to live like the Christ, we are understanding we're not abdicating our responsibility to live, but we have chosen to live a different way. If you look at several scriptures, in fact, these will be uh, kind of in a group up here on the screen, beginning with Romans chapter 5. There is a special word, there is a word that's found over and over in the Bible, that is very dear and near to our hearts. We read in Romans chapter 5, verse 1, that we have peace with God through our what? Lord, Jesus Christ. You go to Romans chapter 10, very famous verse. If you declare with your mouth three words, say it with me, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. We go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 at the end of that great passage on what it means for Jesus to have been resurrected from the dead, we read, thanks be to God. He gives us a victory. That's not a victory that we could win. It's a victory that is given to us through our Saint Lord, Jesus Christ. 
Write this down somewhere and think about it this week and pray about it this week. This that's up on the screen. When you become a Christian, you put your life under the authority of another. And that, my friends, and that, my brothers and sisters, is one of the greatest challenges that you will face as a disciple of Jesus, and that is to live under the lordship of Jesus of Nazareth. You remember what our discipleship verse is, right? 1 John chapter 2, verse 6. This is how we know we are in Him. Whoever claims to live in Him must, not an option, must walk. Your way of life, your walk reflects Jesus. We walk as Jesus did. The simplest definition that I can think of to give you as to what it means to live out the implications of 1 John chapter 2 and verse 6 is discipleship is living in every area of your life like Jesus. This past week I was reminded by Dr. Cryer, uh, Bill Cryer, of a really great quote out of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. And that quote is, Jesus came to this world and became a man in order to spread to other men the kind of life he has by what I call good infection. Every Christian is to become a little Christ. The whole purpose of becoming a Christian is simply nothing else. One of the visions you should have for your life is that as, as, as a man of God or a woman of God, a child of God, you are becoming a mini-Christ in the world. That people should be able to look at your life and get an idea of what the gospel is all about. There should be a joy from the sense of forgiveness. There should be a, a, a praise on our lips because of the mighty acts that God has wrought in our life. There should be this, this incredible sense of forgiveness, not just that we've been forgiven, but that as human beings we are capable of forgiving as we have been forgiven in Christ. But that, as you know, is not something that just happens overnight. You don't take a pill. I wish I could just take a mini Jesus pill, you know, throw it in the air, swallow it, a little bit of water. Next thing you know, I look like the Christ. But that does not happen. To become a mini-Christ calls for commitment. That's a funny little word, commitment. Commitment is more than just sampling something. I sampled liver and onions, as you know, at one time in my life. I am committed to never eating it ever again. <laughs> commitment is not having one foot in and one foot out. A commitment is where you put your weight down on something to the extent that if it fails, you feel the crash. That's what it means to be committed. Biblically speaking, commitment is where we understand we have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. Commitment, biblically defined, is death to self. It's when you commit to Christ in intentionally picking up your cross and following Him. Jesus of Nazareth was crucified 
He was not crucified so that we would not have to be. He was crucified so that we would be crucified with him in order to live and to discover a different kind of life. What it means to be a disciple is that we die to self in order for a new life to be formed in us because we have experienced a new birth. And so Jesus, trying to get this idea of discipleship to his disciples and to those that were listening to him, he says in Luke chapter 9, whoever wants to be my disciple must, what's that four-letter word? Deny. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross. And what's that five-letter word? Daily. And follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will save it. Picking up our cross and following him, in other words, is death to self. Not the death of self. But death to self means we belong to Christ and that we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. Amen. You know what it means for this to be us? It means that we go around and we do good. And you know why that's possible? Do you know why it's possible for us to be able to be the kind of people that wherever we go, we make it better the way that Jesus made it better? It's because we live for him because he died for us. We can live like him because we die to self. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him. Underline those words. We should no longer live for ourselves, but for him. Why? Because he died for them and was raised again. Which brings us to one of the really big battles that all of us who are striving to be disciples of Jesus of Nazareth face on a daily basis. And that is the battle between our desires and his lordship. The uncrucified life makes desire the ultimate thing in life. One of the things that human beings are just really good at is taking a good thing and making it an ultimate thing, which in other words is taking a good thing and turning it into an idol. Our lives, when they are uncoupled from God, makes our desires, the, the pinnacle of life, the pinnacle of, of, of experience. I want what I want, and I want it when I want it, and I'm not going to be denied. The mantra of an uncrucified life says, I want what I want and I'm going to get what I want. And no one is going to make me not get it. Unchecked human desire, though, as you know, brings unlimited points of misery into our lives, into the lives of others. And the reason is that human desire, by its nature, is infinite. We go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 3, the story of when a human put their desire, their human, individual, singular desire before God. The serpent asked the woman, Eve, a bit of a sneer in his voice, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in, in, in the garden? Eve says, we can't even touch it. 
or we're going to die. And Sermon replies again with the sneer, you're not going to die. Because God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God. And in verse 6, when the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, pleasing to the eye, and also what? Desirable. For gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. To not make God ultimate means that we have allowed a God-shaped hole to form in our heart. And we try to fill that God-shaped hole in our heart with our desires because having uncoupled our lives away from God, having turned away from God, desires is all we have. We look to our desires as if they're everything in our lives. We turn good things into ultimate things, and we cannot live by faith and trust in God if those desires are ultimate. And Jesus says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The cross places limitations on human desires. The cross of Jesus that we are called to pick up places limitations on human desires. Picking up our cross and following Jesus is not about hating ourselves. It means that we are choosing the alternative for living for ourselves and only for ourselves. It's choosing to live for our Lord Jesus and not for our own desires. And there's really a great example of this found over in John chapter 12 and Mark chapter 14. It's an example of what a commitment, the commitment that we're called to have, what it looks like in practical daily life. In, in John chapter 12 verse 14, it's just a couple of days before the death of Jesus. He's gone to Bethany. He's having a meal at the house of a fellow by name Simon the leper, Maybe the worst nickname of all time. And it's in Bethany. And as you know, Bethany over there on the Mount of Olives is the place where Lazarus and Mary and Martha live. We're told that Lazarus is there too. And he's eating with the group that Jesus is a part of. We're also told that Martha is serving them. Where is that little sister, Mary? Where is she? Well, Mary made a decision that she was going to go back to the house to get something. And she comes back into that room, and she does three things that we're told. She breaks a jar of perfume and pours it over Jesus' head and feet. And then she kneels down, and she lets down her hair. And she begins to wipe his, his, uh, his feet, where she has poured the oil on his head and his feet. She begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And in Mark's account, when she breaks that jar and pours that oil over him and then begins to do with her hair and with his feet, they come uncorked. They become incensed. And in Mark's gospel, they rebuked her harshly. And they're beginning to yell and to scream at her because, you know, what she's doing is just, it just incenses them. And Jesus quiets him and says, Fellas, you need to leave her alone. 
And at the end of this story in Mark chapter 14, he says, I'm going to tell you something. Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. question is why? What in the world do her actions have to do with the gospel? The answer is that we see in her what happens to a life when a person commits to following Jesus and picking up their cross and following Him. The first thing is they go all in. They go all in. In a card game that involves chips, going all in means that I'm putting all of my chips, I'm putting my place in the game, my seat at the table, I'm putting all of that in on this one card hand. Win or lose, I'm all in. And this Mary in Mark's gospel, she has gone back to the house and she gets this this jar and she breaks it. The, The jars of perfume were probably the most expensive items that families owned. In a manner of speaking, they were kind of a financial fallback position for ancient families that if things got rough financially or economically, things or they had to, to flee or, or to leave the country quickly, they would take this with them as a, ways, uh, as a way of creating income and finances for themselves. So this jar is really important. And she breaks it. She breaks the jar and pours it all out. And in breaking that jar, there is no way she's going to be able to save any of it. It's all poured on him. And there's no going back because there's no jar to keep it in now. And what Mary is saying is that For me to follow you, for me to have relationship with you, I'm all in. I will follow you regardless of the cost, even if it costs me everything. When's the last time you said that to the Christ? You should say this every day. You should say it every day in prayer, and sometimes multiple times during the day. You should say, I'm going to follow you even if it costs me everything. And then she says a a second thing, or she teaches us a second thing, and it's the difference between knowing rather than knowing about. Mary lets her hair down, and she begins to wipe his feet with her hair. And not only was the breaking of this this jar of perfume incredibly, uh, it just boggled the minds of these people at this table. But this is a scandalous act that she has done in letting her hair down. It was, it was a scandalous act to do in public. Women did not let their hair down except in the privacy and the intimacy of their homes among family. You know, there's a lot of things you can do as a Christian and not like it. There's a lot of things that you can do as a disciple of Jesus and not like it. But in this act of of letting her hair down and wiping his feet, Mary is saying, Oh, Jesus, you have my heart. You have my heart. You have everything that I have 
including my heart. I remember the first time I wanted to tell a, a, a someone, a girl, that I loved him. Debated back and forth. Knew what I felt. But what if I say it and it just kind of hangs out there? She doesn't say it back. Disaster. I'm going to have to join the merchant marines. I'm going to have to learn how to play the harmonica. Mary lets her hair down. She's not going to hold back her heart. She is absolutely comfortable in the presence of Jesus. And she lets her hair down. She's not going to hold her heart back because she is confident in the presence of Jesus. She doesn't care what anybody else thinks. She only cares, and she only wants what she does to reflect how she feels about the Christ. And then the last thing is, is give up rights. One of the things that makes us such an extremely different kind of a family, brothers and sisters in Christ, is that we acknowledge that we don't live for ourselves, we live for Him. We pick up our cross daily. We deny ourselves, and we, we will lose our lives in order to save it. The life that He gives us. Which means that we give up rights. She wipes Jesus' feet with her hair. It's such an, a humiliating act. She is saying, there is nothing that you can ask me to do that I will not do. She's saying to Jesus that if you want me to live in a cardboard box, I'll gladly live in a cardboard box. She is saying there are no conditions for me to be with you and to follow you wherever you go. You, you know, one of the things that was essential in the life of Jesus for him to go to the cross was humility. He had equality with God but did not count that as something to hold on to. But he humbled himself and became a man, and not just a man, but a servant, and not just a servant, a servant who was obedient to death, and not just any death, but a death on the cross. Humility like this is essential for a death-to-self life. And Mary in this act shows that she is building her identity around the Christ. Matthew chapter 13, there's this little parable, short, short parable, and we're done. Uh, Jesus is trying to describe what the kingdom of God is like. And he has been teaching his disciples that they need to deny themselves, pick up their cross, follow him, all of these kinds of things. And, you know, at some point, he knows what they're thinking. Is it worth it? Is it worth it? Is it worth it? And so in Matthew chapter 13, he tells this little story. There was once upon a time, there was this, this merchant. He was a pearl merchant. And he loved pearls. And so he's searching pearls, and he finds one that is of the greatest value he can imagine. Greatest pearl, most beautiful pearl that he could ever imagine. And he is fortunate, blessed to one day Opening up an oyster, and there it is. 
And so what does he do? He goes and he sells everything, 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 everything in order to buy that pearl from its owner, the one that he has found. It's beautiful and it's gorgeous and it's valuable and it, it fills him with such joy. He, he's willing to sell everything to have it. Jesus says, Picking up the cross is not easy, and it's not painless. But is the life that leads to the best kind of life right now in this present world and in the world to come. And the question I'll just leave you with this morning is, have you bought that pearl yet? Have you bought that pearl yet? Have you bought the pearl yet? We'll have some shepherds down here at the front. Maybe there's some ways that we can minister to you this morning by helping you to become a child of God through confession and repentance and baptism and choosing a life of discipleship. Or it may be that you're struggling with things in your life. You're struggling to pick that cross up. It can be heavy. It can be heavy and it can be brutal. And sometimes you need help as Christ needed help to pick up that cross and carry it up to Golgotha. You need the help of your brothers and sisters to be able to bear yours. Whatever it may be, we're going to have three or four shepherds down here at the front. We want you to come down and talk to them as we stand and praise God together. Uh